Bannerman podcast. Vardy, the Kings have slightly come down to earth, I would say, uh, and it's making me a little nervous. How are you doing tonight? I'm all right, buddy. We should uh, we should let people know that we're doing something real interesting tonight. Um, we are actually recording uh, as the Kings are about to. Well, it's the second intermission of the Kings Canucks game, and so as we record, we're going to be watching and live recording watching the Kings. Uh, during this game against the Canucks, where it's 2-2 now, headed into the third period. And uh, like you said, God, kind of a microcosm of what the last four or five games have been. Um, it's been a bit mediocre for the Kings so far this game, and the last few games as well have been kind of mediocre in a lot of ways. 5-4-1 and one in their last 10. Kind of a far cry from how they started the season off, but at the same time, we discussed this that... It doesn't feel like they've been 5-4-1 in the last 10 because in reality they've really been in every game, I would say except maybe the Tampa game, which was just a disaster from beginning to end. And we were kind of due for one of those games. It was bound to happen, right? You, in the During the course of a season, those games will happen. Uh, but right now, even this Vancouver game that, like Vardy said, we're kind of going to be doing, I guess, a commentary track to the third period. You know, the Bannerman always pushing those boundaries, trying new things. So we're going to be live reacting to that game. Even this game right now, man, it's, uh, boy, outside the first few minutes of that game, it has not looked very good for the Kings. Yeah, it's it's been, it's it's kind of been the same problems that they've really had over the last uh, few games. And obviously uh, the Tampa game stands out, like you mentioned, as a, as a really glaringly obvious example of, of the team laying an egg. But even in that game, you know, there was about a four or five minute period where Tampa kind of broke it out. And it was all because of just poor exchanges on the part of the Kings, poor breakout passes, just just one mistake. And a team like Tampa is really good enough where it's going to capitalize on those mistakes. Now, I think they're being fortunate in this particular game so far where um, they got ahead 2-0 and uh, the Canucks caught up, but the Canucks could easily be up you know, four two, if not more. There's there's been a few missed chances. There's been a few odd man rushes that they just haven't put on net or Quicks made a good stop. And a penalty, a penalty shot. shot. Yeah. yeah, exactly. A penalty shot that I don't think either of us agreed should have even been called a penalty shot. I mean, it seems like they're just giving them away these days. It used to be impossible to get a penalty shot, but now it's just like you're one stride behind the guy and you tap him on the glove and it's good enough for a penalty shot now. You know, so it's a foul from behind. It is. I don't think there's any question about that. But I don't think it was a clear-cut breakaway, especially when you consider the pass, I believe, came from inside the blue line. It is inside the zone, yeah. So, the pass was inside the zone. All four of the players involved in that, both you know, the pass, the Kings player covering the passer, and um, I want to say it was Forbert who took the penalty on, um, on Sutter. They were all in the zone to begin with, and so it's just it's kind of strange. It's almost like it's not really a breakaway. It was just he had a step on him, and he went and drove the net a little bit. So, but whatever. I mean, it's better than a two-minute penalty, I suppose, especially when when Quick made a pretty easy stop on it. So, right. So we have a few minutes till the third begins. Vardy, anything on this last stretch uh, that we can talk about? We, I believe, we called a three and one record. For the four mm-hmm. games that were ahead at the time, which started with the Toronto game, which we thought they would win, and they did. Uh, they they had the game in hand pretty, you know, convincingly after the first period, or and the second it was 5 nothing at some point. So uh, the Leafs kind of made a push, but I, I never really, there wasn't too much concern about the Kings putting that one away after they jumped out to a big lead. So good call for us. Yeah, I mean, if they, if, they gave up a, if they gave up a five-goal lead, I think... Uh, I think we, we, we'd be a little more worried real early on in this trip. But, I mean, the Leafs are a good team. They came back, they scored three goals, and I wouldn't have expected anything less. I'm glad the Kings got the win out of that one. Um, on the contrary, sir, I'd like to remind everyone that I said that it was actually going to go 0-4. So, uh, you know. <laughs> right. We did last-minute change our minds on that one. That's right. Um, That's right. Just to 
to keep our as usual eat crow per 60 average very high Just way up there buddy yeah amongst all the podcasts i think we're leading yeah so real quick i don't want to i don't think we need to dwell on these games too much the nashville game good comeback by the team uh never felt like we were out of it uh couple of interesting goals in that one, I would say. Namely, Alex Ayafalo's first NHL goal, and then Christian Folland's uh, three-pointer from the red line, which only <laughs> accounted for one. Uh, pretty tricky play, crafty play by him, but I think the big takeaway from that game for me is always going to be Ayafalo's first goal. And it's funny because I said I would hate myself if I missed it, and it's you who ended up missing it, my friend. Oh, God. Uh, I work ridiculous hours sometimes, guys, and it ends up costing me, you know, precious memories, uh, equal parts memories of my child growing up and of my kings growing up, I suppose. And so (laughs) all my children, I'm missing all of their lifetime moments. Yeah, you need to get your priorities in check, buddy. I mean, seriously, man. Yeah. So going into the Anaheim game, what a great game. Um, I think you texted me this is the best game of the season, and I agree totally. Um, it was highly entertaining, couple of division rivals, all that stuff, but the comeback, um, just the no goals, the goalie reviews, just a crazy, crazy game. Um, we had a game misconduct, a blindside hit, just everything you pay to see in a hockey game, I think. It was jam-packed into that Kings-Ducks game. Kings come away with the win. Uh, prolific overtime scorer Nick Shore with the game winner on that one. <laughs> so that was cool. Dead good from the slot. <laughs> good to see. Good to see. Um, and then of course the Tampa game. So uh, that was what we called. But then there was one more game, and that was the Sharks game. And man, that was uh, that was a tough one to watch. Not because the Kings didn't play well or anything like that. I thought they were okay. I thought it was a pretty even game for the most part. Uh, there was, you know, every game's going to have the ebb and flow, right? Every game's going to have the each team having the wave of atta- waves of attack for a certain period of time. That's just hockey right now. Is it's it's a game of segments. Uh, that's the way the new NHL is. No one really dominates for the whole game. But Martin Jones and Jonathan Quick, man, Bill Ranford, I'm sure was smiling from the press box there because his two baby boys put on quite a show that game, but. Uh, eventually it was Martin Jones who edged out quick, I guess you could say, uh, based on the score. I mean, they were going chance for chance. I, th- I think I, I was I was in charge of the Twitter that night, folks, and I think I called it uh, I called it the hockey equivalent of playing horse, where it was just like, oh yeah, well, can you stop this? And man, Tyler Toffoli put on every possible chance you can think of against Martin Jones and was just getting stoned left and right. Um, I and it's it, you know games like that i get it's a tough loss it really is and especially against a division rival and especially when you had that many chances but i think any other goaltender or even jones playing on a more average night that's that's a win for the kings kempy in fact that whole line honestly to fully uh, kempy pearson um They've, they've started doing this thing that I really, really enjoy, where on zone entries, and I think Kempe kind of gave a very eloquent description of it earlier today on, on LA Kings Insider, where they get the zone entry, and he realizes that he can pull up at the line, and Pearson and DeFoley are going to cut down the wing behind the defenseman, and it confuses the defenseman and the, and the guys who are stepping up on him on the blue line, <clears throat> excuse me, who are stepping up on him on the blue line, as to what to do, do they try and cover Pearson or do they try and stay up and uh, and cover Kempe as he's entering the zone? And in that particular, there was a couple instances where the defenseman just hesitated for a split second and Kempe read that and threaded this needle pass just right underneath the stick between the skates straight to uh, Pearson. And he's done it again tonight against the Canucks. So I, I just really enjoy seeing that. That's such a high skill play. That's such a great zone entry that creates a chance. Um, and it's, you know, those are going to go in. If you, if you look at those chances across the course of an 82 game season, you keep those things up, you're going to get good results. And so it's not like they played a bad game and they lost. I think they just lost to a team that played a slightly tighter game. In fact, in some ways I would argue that the Sharks played a little bit like how we used to be used yes, to the Kings yes, playing. Yes, 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 yes. I, I completely just, agree. I mean, it was just shut down in, in a lot of ways. It was just clogged lanes. 
comfortable being boring and waiting for your chances. Neither one of their goals were, you know, anything to write home about or going to be on anyone's highlight reel. Although I'm pretty sure most of Joel Ward's goals are very similar to the one he got, so maybe it's on his. But I mean, they're they're comfortable with that. They're going to yeah. get their points. They're going to get their wins, and you can't blame them. You know, we we played that style for many many years, and we had good success with it. So. I totally agree. San Jose was basically generating off the forecheck almost exclusively. Their two goals are forecheck plays that end up in the in the Kings goal. So. Totally. That's uh, I that also crossed my mind. I was like, this looks like Daryl Sutter's coaching this team. That's the way mm-hmm. they were playing that game, and the Kings kind of fell into that game, which is weird to say about this team because it's been their game for so long. But they ended up kind of falling into that game, and really, it's two bounces, you know, two plays. I would call them broken plays, plays where the Sharks didn't really set up. They they just pressured the Kings into these mistakes. A couple of errant passes. Things you don't like to see, you know, managing the puck, right? That's the that's the few words that John Stevens loves to use when games like that happen. And, and the Kings weren't managing the puck well. The, the tide really turned in that game. At some point, I would say 20 minutes of the game would belong to the Kings. The rest seemed like the Sharks just controlled the pace and, and made the Kings play the game they want to play versus having the Kings play the game that's made them successful up to this point this season. So, you know, that's a coaching battle that I think uh, Peter DeBoer probably comes out on top in, um, but again, they weren't out of it. You know, they were still in it and it was a one shot game, a couple of bounces here and there. And that's, that's pretty encouraging. Uh, even though they have, they're five, four and one in their last 10 games. Um, I was, I was reading an article where the Kings have had one of the top four toughest schedules in the NHL so far, based on some analytic, uh, data that I, I don't really understand to tell you the truth but <laughs> but it's called uh, strength of schedule and they are it, with that stat they have the toughest schedule in the west up to this point yeah, I mean I think you just have to look at their opponents over that last little stretch right like and and this is this is something that we brought up anyway you know Tampa St. Louis San Jose those are good teams sure toronto right toronto twice toronto uh, toronto who we who yeah toronto twice who we want who we beat um one one was it once or once no, right one, we yeah, lost we're one on one yeah yeah so it's just you know I, I again if you're going five four and one during that stretch and you're playing well i'm okay with it um that tampa game is just an egg and you know Fine, I'll accept that kind of a game every once in a while, particularly against Tampa, where it, I I wasn't I wasn't particularly hopeful going into that game to begin with. Um, should, give me towards the end of the season, hopefully when Carter's back, and then then let me see how they play against Tampa, and then I'll use that to judge. Fair enough. Yeah, I agree with you, and it's it's again, it's to me, it's not even just Carter, right? Uh, so we forget <laughs> that Marion Gabrick's a part of this team sometimes, but. He seems oh, to be, I don't. <laughs> I know you don't, Vardy. I know. I know you. I know you've been sleeping with your Gabrick Minnesota Wild jersey <laughs> the last few days because he is close to returning, my friend, from every indication. So uh, hopefully he comes back soon. And uh, the third period, by the way, folks, is underway now in the That's Kings right. Canucks game. And hopefully the Kings can put together a good twenty here. They're starting off on the power play. Um, so we're gonna kind of watch, comment, and still discuss a few things surrounding the team. Um, namely, I want to discuss the trade that happened actually very recently. And I'm talking about earlier today, as of this recording, Michael Camilleri, the, uh, the MVP of the Bannerman season. So yes. Far, the much say. maligned Michael Camilleri, uh, on the Bannerman podcast has been traded to the Edmonton Oilers for their much maligned veteran, uh, UC Jokinen, uh, Pretty much a one-for-one deal. It's one of those like, hey, let's swap these guys and maybe things will be better for everyone kind of trade. So even money, everything's even, nothing added, nothing lost really. It's essentially like if that team signed that guy, you know, instead of the team that ended up trading him, signing him. So um, I don't want to say like it was a failed experiment or anything, but you could tell with Cammy, man, every game you could tell he just can't keep up with the pace anymore i don't know if it's because the kings are faster now or if the game is just overall just passed them by but he looked luke robitaille 2004 slow you know like just 
trucking up and down the ice, lumbering out there and just waiting for his one-timers on the power play. And really, I mean, that's what we expected. He, you know, he has seven points and four of those came in one period. So, you know, it, it, don't look at the stats and say he had seven and 14, whereas Jokinen has, I don't know, maybe like one assist the whole time. Right. Because really, right. you know, I don't think that's very fair. Right, especially when you consider that those four points came during Adrian Kempe's Adrian Kempe game number one, as we have come to call it. Yes, where you know how much did he really contribute to that? <laughs> um, but anyway, it's just it's <laughs> there was never a point, honestly, where I was watching Camilleri play and I said to myself, "This is a much better option than say Nick Dowd." or Mike Amadio, or any of those other guys that, you know, were kind of sitting there getting five minutes a night in place of him. It just, none of it was really making any sense. And I think when they brought him in, it was obviously early on in the offseason when they didn't really know what they had in terms of these younger guys. Again, there was a lot of question marks. You had no idea how Adrian Kempe was going to play. You had no idea what Alex Iafala was going to do, much less that he was going to come in and basically lock down the top line left wing spot that we've been trying to fill for, you know, multiple, multiple seasons now. And I think the, you know, there was, there was some discussion that maybe, um, this was kind of a mutual parting of ways that, and that Camilleri had a discussion with Blake and kind of expressed to him that maybe this didn't end up being the fit that he was hoping it would be. And that maybe he, he had dreams and visions of playing on the top line and reuniting with, with Kopitar and, and uh and brown on the top line but you know tough luck big guy i mean you're you're a pro you've been doing this for a long enough time you know that the better player is going to get that spot no one's gonna no one's gonna just stick to that promise now the interesting thing for me is that how the hell how how is this a better fit from the oilers exactly like what does this what does this do for him you know he's not gonna play on big david's wing if he he was having trouble keeping up with the kings what's he going to do with McDavid? Is he going to wait on his own blue line for McDavid to back check? I'm, I'm very confused. Yeah, I don't think, I don't know. It's tough to say the Oilers wingers in general, the Oilers team has been underperforming uh, the whole season. And really it's been Dreisaitl, McDavid, and a bunch of dudes, right? So I maybe it, UC Okunen wasn't cutting it obviously for them. So they're maybe thinking, hey, let's get a trigger man, you know, on the power play or something. Well, whatever. I mean, I think the trade is like twofold. I think Iofalo is a big, big part of why that trade happened. It's because he's he needs power play time. I mean, at this point, at the way he's been performing, he should be getting power play time. And you and Camilleri right. is a power. And he play got it tonight, by the way. He he started getting power play right. time tonight. No surprise, right? And Camilleri is is at this juncture a power play specialist, pretty much. I mean, that's. If you sign them, if you're paying them, that's what you're paying them for, to be on the power play. Because five on five, I don't think he, he has it anymore. So I think it's that. Another thing is I think the looming return of Gabrick. Um, I think that also plays into it a bit. And so here's a little interesting thing. <laughs> you know how we say we don't have sources, we, we're not insiders, anything like that. Uh, a, a contact of mine who has historically been somewhat close to the king situation let's just put it that way uh he's he's told me a few things beforehand that's been correct most notably something about mike richards and his arrest he was dead on about it before the information got out anyway i don't want to get into it too much let's call him uh anonymous bannerman insider abi you know he messaged me today and said that the kings were planning on waiving mike camilleri and they let it be known that he was going to go on waivers and the Oilers were the only team or one of the teams that expressed interest and worked out a deal. So, I mean, again, this isn't ironclad. This isn't, you know, don't take it to the bank, but I kind of believe it. I kind of believe that the Kings got to that point with them. I think it's possible. I mean, again, it's, it's the same thing that we talked about, right? Like you brought him in, it was a low risk, potential high reward signing, and it didn't really end up at all the the way you wanted it to. Um, and so it's fine. Now you get Yusuf Jokinen, you get maybe a guy who could play a little more center, take some face-offs. Um, son of a... Ah, oh, damn it. come on. Power play goal. Sven Berchi, it looks like. Yeah. 
it's a it's a shorthanded situation. Kings kind of lose. I can't even say lose the man. It's a three on two coming in. This is like the most fundamental three on two play in hockey is hit the guy high and yeah, it's yeah. it's now three two Vancouver and uh you, you know the Kings goal differential has been great in the third, but not lately, man. Uh, not lately. That hurts right there. Looks like Nick Shore a little late coming back. Yeah. Um, Quickie kind of, man, that's a big slide by Quick. I mean, again, it's hard for me to blame him in, in a uh, shorthanded it, sure. rush situation like that reaction. when when the and the puck's going completely across the grain, right? I mean, the entry's on the right on the right wing board, and Barchi kind of hangs back a little bit, but the pass gets through to him, and he doesn't hesitate. Like he doesn't take even a single extra second to let Quick set on that shot and puts it top corn. I mean that's that's just coverage. That's just you know entry and and coverage. And granted, we have the best power. Uh, sorry, best penalty kill in the league statistics wise. That's just poor coverage, man. <sighs> All right, fifteen minutes left in the game, guys. Come on. And anyway, really, okay. Poor coverage has kind of been a a storyline when the game. Kings have have been losing. You know, when they've been in trouble. You know, the earlier goal in this game, Jake Muzzin, I don't think he had any idea where the puck was. Um, None. When Horvat, you know, basically scored it, I could have scored that goal. Um, but it's things like that, man. It's little things that got that got to get cleaned up. And that Tampa game, that's what it was too when they, you know, when they went down so big. You know, that Hedman goal, a couple of tapping goals, like just poor coverage by the team. and that And that's... What they got to clean up. And that's kind of what I miss from Daryl's days. So hopefully they can find that sweet spot where they can be explosive offensively and still keep their defensive identity. I think that's what they're still trying to do and that's what they're struggling to find so far. Yeah, and and I do wonder how much of it is just having younger players in there. And again, I I don't want to keep harping on this, but... The absence of Jeff Carter, I, I think, is felt in a lot of different circumstances. Um, the penalty kill is one of them. Um, face-offs is another. I think it just puts a lot of pressure on the top line to produce. And, and granted, the second line's been doing what they're doing. But um, we've already spoken at length that Adrian Kempe's um, defensive coverage leaves much to be uh, you know, desired. And that's still a part of his game that he's working on. There's just a lot of younger players on the team right now. Some of that because of injuries, some of that because of uh, transitions in, in terms of where the team is now in terms of its pipeline. And I do wonder how much of this is is a result of younger guys um, maybe not having the coverage down quite as well as you would hope. And then that puts uh, an added strain on some of, the, some of the more experienced guys and everything just kind of falls out of position. Um, granted... You know, they they started well, and so hopefully they've built enough of a point cushion where they can work out these these little problems before it really becomes an issue. Yeah, and it's a important kind of time because uh, I was looking at some stats, and and if you're in by American Thanksgiving uh, in the NHL, you have a something like sixty to seventy percent chance of being in at the end of the season. That's just how the statistics play out. Obviously, that's not you know. It's just a stat, right? It doesn't really mean right. anything. But at the same time, you get to Thanksgiving and you're in good shape. Uh, history shows that you probably will continue to be in good shape and end the season in a playoff spot. So hopefully, you know, we, we have a 5-8 and eight here. Uh, I believe all at home, if I'm not mistaken. Maybe one away, but it's in the same time zone. i got to double-check that. But, yeah, they got to... Uh, they got to get out of this losing streak, and hopefully, I'm not calling this a loss. You had plenty of time, but you don't want to be down three-two in the third here uh, against a division rival. You know, losing, dropping another division game is just that's that's these are the types of games where at the end of the season you look back and you're just like, man, these points are the difference between where we where we sit in one, one position versus sitting in another position um, makes all the difference in the world come playoff time. And I agree with you. And I think we had discussed this once before that, you know, it's it's nice to see the offense opened up a bit. But is this going to come at the cost of the defensive play or are they going to be able to maintain some aspect of it? Because John Stevens obviously um, was there during those cup years, was coaching the defense during those cup years and is well aware of what type of defensive coverage 
uh, led to some success. And so it, I just, you know, you never want the pendulum swinging too far in the opposite direction. There's, there has to be a, a good balance because clearly this is not a run and gun team and run and gun hockey is not going to win you a lot of games. Oh boy. Oh boy. Another two on one for Vancouver just now. Yeah, man, the chances are coming for them. Yep. Um, you mentioned face-offs and campaign defensive zone coverage. I think UC Okun, and I think another reason why they maybe decided to take a chance on him is he has a solid face-off percentage historically. Good face-off mm-hmm. guy. Obviously, well, I guess not obviously to everyone, but he has historically been one of the better shootout players in the NHL. Uh, always a threat in the shootout. I think he has one of the highest averages of all time. Something He's got one of the best YouTube videos of all time, I'm sure, if you want to just search Juicy Yoke and shootout highlights. You know, it was funny. When the Oilers got him we, in our uh, Around the League in 80 Days episode, we felt like, we feel like he would have fit on the Oilers. The, you know, the players there sure. and, and his game, and even though he's 34, it's funny now that he's on the Kings and he'll probably be playing next game. So I am a little surprised by it, though. I know we, you know, I know we said Camilleri looked like he didn't have it anymore, but Camilleri has a very good relationship with Rob Blake, uh, a very good relationship with Luke Robitaille. They are, they're friends, you know, legitimate friends. They're not just hockey acquaintances or contacts over the years. So in that respect, I was a little surprised. But what I do like about that is that, hey, you know, Rob Blake, he wants to make this team better. I think that's what that kind of proves to me, right? Because mm-hmm. if you're willing to trade your friend, uh, and all, even if Camilleri said, I'm unhappy here, you know, I don't think he ever asked for a trade. He may have said, I'm unhappy in my role, but for Blake to go out and do that, um, I think is a good sign. You know, someone might view that as, oh, are, are the Kings getting desperate or something crazy like that? But I think it's quite the opposite. I think it's, it's a positive, uh, from Blake's perspective. Yeah, I agree. I mean, there's, it's hard not to agree with that, right? Like it's, it's nice to see especially with some of the history of, you know, Lombardi, uh, most notably with Mike Richards and, and in the initial, uh, you know, window where they had to buy him out without any particular consequence. And then he stalled on that because of nostalgia, because these are his kids, you know, these are his boys. They got him there and, you know, he loved them like their own children. And then it, it just, it, it led to too many bad business decisions. You know, you have to stay objective in this business. Nothing wrong with, you know, being friends with these guys. And if it works out in that sense, then great. But if it's not working out, like it clearly wasn't with Camilleri, you, you know, you got to pull the trigger and do what's best for the team. And maybe it'll end up being better for him as, as well. So, so who knows? Who knows? Yeah. It's funny you mentioned Dean Lombardi there because... I believe it was last week he granted Pierre Lebrun an interview, his first interview uh, since being let go by the Kings. Um, I kind of caught the highlights of it, or I guess the main quotes and everything, and I don't know, man, anything stand out to you from that? I mean, I think we read just about the same amount on it, but was there anything memorable? No, it was just, in a lot of ways, it was usual Dean, you know, spinning spinning a yarn and just talking in circles and drawing analogies to the Yankees in situations that you, you don't really make much sense. Um, the one thing I guess that did surprise me, it wasn't so much something he said, it was something he didn't say where even now after, after you know, being let go by the Kings and seeing the Kings starting well and doing as well as they are, there just seemed like there was this tone, this lack of like, um, lack of acceptance, a lack of accountability, uh, accountability. Thank you of, of that, you know, maybe I played a role in this, you know, he was talking about, I think Brown's contract that he had and how there had been all this discussion about Brown getting traded and how it was a, it was a albatross of a contract because Brown was underperforming. And his, re- his response to that was, well, look at him. Look how he's playing now. You know, that contract's perfect for him now. It's like, yeah, maybe you're not understanding how much you and Daryl handling Brown led to, you know, his poor play and hence the, the contract that didn't really fit the type of play that you were getting out of him. It's not like he's a different player in any way. He's just, you know, it's just a lot easier to play when you don't think your bosses hate you in general it's just it's weird man because 
he's saying, oh, look how great that contract is now. But he tried to trade him several times. times. You know, <laughs> it's not, it's kind of funny, right? He's saying, oh, look, see, told you guys. But no, you were tried to trade him. You, you told right. him to his face, we've tried to trade you and no one wants you. So right. I got nothing but love for Dean, man, honestly. We, we could talk about him forever, what he did for us, all that. But at some point, yeah, accountability. I agree with you totally. It's, at some point, you got to say, hey, maybe I was wrong when I said that the Penguins were a flavor of the month or yeah, a flash in the pan team. And, you know, I don't believe in that. Like the way he built, you know, the USA World Cup roster, for example. Just, right. It's okay to say, hey, man, you know, I came short when it came to adapting and adjusting to the new NHL and the speed of the game and I was too loyal and it's okay to say those things like yeah. no one's it's not going to change what you did you know so it would have been nice yeah, yeah I agree it would have been nice if he said uh you know I've learned from my mistake even if he just said I learned from my mistakes that would have been enough you know just say that yeah and, and it maybe goes a bit beyond accountability maybe it goes into into the territory of humility you know that you just you want someone who can accept that like yes things went well and i did a good job and we did a good job in general but maybe we didn't do such a great job at the end there maybe we mishandled a lot of guys maybe we just we didn't look at things objectively and then it got got too far out of control and then when we when we tried to clean up our mess it led us to make a lot of decisions that made us look really really bad including and not limited to letting Voinov practice with the team when he was going through all of his legal problems, uh, including the whole uh, Mike Richards, uh, the oxycodone at the border scandal, which you, know, you can't convince me otherwise. I'm pretty sure Dean planted those drugs in his car. There's, there's no question in my mind. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, so it's there's, just, there's a question. I hope it's a little bit. Is there, though? <laughs> You know, Dean's going to get jobs in the NHL. You know, he's, he's a smart enough guy and he's had enough success where he's going to get jobs. Oh, he has one um, now. So good for no, him. I mean, even even higher up, you know, like he'll be he'll be the GM of some other team. Sometime oh, yeah, soon. I think I think without a doubt, he's going to be Hextall's assistant GM in short <laughs> order here. I don't I would not be surprised by that at all. And he might be he'll make a heck of an assistant GM. I'll tell you that he'll make a yeah. heck of a GM, too, as as long as he actually did learn from his mistakes, he'll yeah. he'll be again. He'll, uh, no reason why he can't be one of the best. So that's that's our little trip down memory lane with Dean. Uh, <laughs> I haven't read the full article, but like I said, we got the gist of it. Uh, the Athletic got to pay, pay to play. No more freebies from Pierre LeBron. You know what I do wish they did though. I wish they had a system, maybe a token system, where you just buy some tokens and you can read the articles you want to. Yeah. Versus paying a monthly and you like, I would have paid to re- read that Dean Labardi article. Just I wouldn't have paid for all the other ones. Sure. You know what I mean? So maybe maybe they should do that. Maybe I'll write an email or I'll tweet yeah. someone. They just, always listen. Just tweet Pierre. Pierre. Pierre's real receptive. Yeah. All those big hockey writers are. So just to kind of update again, guys, we are watching the third period of the Canucks-Kings game right now and commenting on it. I think there's been some line adjustments made. Correct me if I'm wrong, but it looks like Toffoli is, maybe it was just for that one shift, but it looks like the top line now is Toffoli, uh, Kopi, and I follow instead of Brown uh, on the top line. So I think I think there's Stevens a, yeah, I think the line blender's out because I see, yeah, Kempi, Pearson, Brown now. Um and then I earlier I think I saw Brown, Kopi, Pearson. So th- I think he's just he's trying to do whatever he can. He's with trying something there, right now, yeah, going. trying something because uh, they're not generating a whole lot. It looks like they had one chance uh, a few minutes ago, but other than that, it, it's it hasn't looked like there's been much. Uh, I'm sure as things go down to the wire, the urgency will come a little more. But as it stands right now, I think we're into si- single digits. Uh, minutes wise left in the game at this yeah, point so it's, it's getting there and it's the same thing it's just it's it's like one-off chances there's not really any grade a chances there's not there's not a lot of pressure now you look at some of the Canucks goals um granted it was on the power play but there's just a lot of bodies in front there's a lot of like people that are waiting to pounce on the rebound and, and put stuff away 
and a couple of the chances they're having right now, the Canucks are successfully just isolating guys off to the boards. It's one shot and a good save, and if there is a rebound, there's a Canucks player in between the Kings player and the puck, and, and they clear it out pretty well. So you're just looking for something, something here, some sort of good shift, lots of chances, something to get things going. But it's just not happening right now. It's very similar to how the Sharks are playing the Kings and just limiting chances and uh, lulling you to the point where you don't think you have a chance to win this game anymore. It's kind of funny that the other teams are using the formula the Kings used for so many years to beat them. I know. The tables have turned. The tables have very much turned. Indeed, they have. So this is what it was like to watch. <laughs> I know. From the other, I don't like versus, it. No, <laughs> I, don't, I don't like it. I don't want to play these guys. <laughs> when can we play Vegas? They're not good anymore. <laughs> I want to see that game fairly oh, soon, man. actually. But yeah, they're 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 having a nice little decline lately. That's that's good to see. Everyone's falling back I mean, to earth. You had to have seen that coming, right? I mean, there's just no yeah. way. There's just no way. You can only, you know live off of enthusiasm for so long and just excitement and something new something fresh at some point you know reality has to set in for for a situation like that and it's not hey man good on them it's i'm not clowning them that's where i thought they would be from the very beginning right so whatever run they put together that cushion they built up you never know you never know where uh it might come back later in the season and and prove to be the difference in Possibly sneaking into the playoffs. Oof. Hit yeah. from behind, huh? Yeah, that's a bad one. Ooh. That does not look pretty. And luckily... Then. Yeah, I was going to say, uh, uh, sarcastically, <laughs> luckily our tough guys are right on the ice. That's right. <laughs> Alex follow with a face oh, wash or two. Man, who'd they get? It was it was I follow who went into the boards okay, and so I think Edler was the one who Edler was the one who hit him. All right, boys, here we go. Seven thirty left. It's power play time. Let's make it happen. Good lord. Yeah. That did that not, not look, look good, man. He went. Oof. I am glad he's okay. That is. Yeah. I don't know if that's a major, but. No, I don't think so. No, no, I, I don't. I, don't th- I know they didn't get him for a major, but in terms of danger and. The vulnerability of your opponent—that's like a reviewable, like a reviewable hit. You mean something, something along those lines? Uh, I don't, you mean suspendable? Yeah, like the league. I mean, the league's obviously going to look at all those hits. Anything that's like a hit from behind or a board, they look at. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. Uh, I don't know. It's very borderline. Like it's borderline yeah. on many levels. It's borderline for a major penalty to me, and it's also borderline for a suspension. I, I think, I don't think it's either. But at the same time, man, it, it's more about how he fell into the boards and, yeah. and the danger level of his head, you know, getting Going in there like an accordion, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, even still, see, now Kings are on the power play, but I, I would argue that the Canucks are getting the better chances on the Kings' power play here, you know? Yeah, that was a, just, that was an important save by Quick there, <laughs> needless yeah. to say. But yeah, uh, glad to see Io follows okay. Um I'm curious that he didn't even get a concussion test on that. To tell you the truth, I yeah, mean, that's that's head first. I don't, I don't think there's much debate about that. But hey, yeah. as long as he's okay. All right, on, so guys. we're winding it down here. It's almost 30 seconds left on this that's power offside. play. That's super offside. <laughs> oh yeah, let's just waste that time. Good, very good. Oh, oh my God. How? Come on, man. How? Come on. That's that's about as good a chance as we're going to get. How, Martinez? God. I need to see the replay of that. Was that actually stopped or did he shank it and put it over the net? It, it, it sure looked like he stopped it based on body language and reaction, but yeah. Nice little passing play, too, by surprise, surprise, the top line. Uh, setting up Martinez on the left side. He seemed to be wide open. Um, yeah, yeah. In fact, it was probably right around the same place he scored the cup-winning goal. Except, <laughs> except I'm not sure how he missed that. Um, I know. I mean, I ca- you would think that if you score a cup-winning goal from right there, you'd nail it like 100 out of 100 times, right, going forward? Yeah, yeah, especially when it's Anders Nilsson and not Henrik Lundqvist. <laughs> not Henrik Lundqvist. In his prime. Man, uh, well, clock is ticking, boys. Clock is I ticking. Know. we got to get something here. And 
Now yeah. we're now we're just trying to throw everything we can. Pretty and, much, and things aren't really going through. Uh, lots of block shots. You know, this is usually the time where you see Dowdy try and just <laughs> go end to end with it, which I gotta say, it, I I I love Drew Dowdy just as much as the next Kings fan, but sometimes, man, he he just tries so hard that it ends up costing him more than anything. Oh, good, here's a replay. Let's see here. Oh my God, that's the oh, crossbar, man. Blocker and bar, jeez. But yeah, back to my point. I mean, sometimes Dowdy, you know, I think in a lot of ways he would be a, a much better player if he just reined it in a little bit. Sometimes he really tries to go end to end and. Oh, oh come on, man! <laughs> come like... on, this is just. Yeah. Let that handsome bastard score. Yeah, can't Damn be it. can't be in the slot there on a. Really nice feed from Toffoli, but uh, it looked like it was a logo blaster more than anything. And, yeah. And Nilsson stopped that. <laughs> but you were talking about Dowdy. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I mean, again, I respect his ability, and clearly he has the ability to be a game breaker kind of player. Um, but I think a lot of times he just tries so hard that it ends up that he's out of either position or the other guys kind of get confused. I think. Again, I, I don't know if we've had this discussion before about the kind of Dowdy versus Carlson element of things. Um, you know, obviously, as a, as a Kings fan, you always want Dowdy to, to win Norris after Norris after Norris. But there's a reason why uh, Carlson is is considered kind of the the bar that everyone else is judged by. And, and in the games that I've watched Carlson play, if you want to draw a comparison to what's different between him and Dowdy, defensively, I... I, I I know Carlson's gotten a lot better, but you can never convince me that he's better defensively than than Drew Doughty. Drew's just got this like tenacity to him um, that I, I don't know if Carlson necessarily has. Um, but offensively, Carlson is just so much more controlled and methodical in his approach, I think, whereas Doughty, I think, is just the same way that he plays defense is the same way he plays offense. He's just bulling a china shop, just going to force it down your throat and get some some sort of point out of it versus Carlson, who I think observes the game a little bit better, plays a smarter game offensively in my mind than Dowdy does. I agree. I mean, he Carlson uses everyone, right? Carlson's yes. the type of player who understands that yes. my my offensive It's strength, like a center. He almost plays like a defensive center if you could – if you some sort of a hybrid position like that existed. You know, I think – to me, it's more like he's a quarterback, and mm. and Dowdy's like a running back, and Dowdy just wants to run the ball. Give me the ball, I'll run the ball. Where Carlson likes to kind of drop in the pocket and see what his options are, and man, can he pass that puck? Uh, I I still remember that pass he made to Hoffman for the breakaway from mm -hmm. what I believe was his own goal line, and it was a saucer pass over everyone, and it was magnificent. <laughs> so uh, the better question is. Which one of them is the equivalent of Derek Jeter? Oh, I got to ask Dean. I got to ask Dean about that one. <laughs> just, just, I hope you have 30 minutes. To I, an I think he's still looking for his hockey Derek Jeter. Hockey uh, Jeter. Hockey Jeter. He, he, thought it was, he thought it was Mike Richards, but turns out Mike Richards was just hockey Mike Richards. <laughs> Not hockey Derek Jeter. <laughs> turns out he was hockey Alex Rodriguez. <laughs> Ooh, deep cuts. But a good one. <laughs> uh okay uh we're all, we're down to three minutes we're now three minutes now three minutes Jeez. and things are scrambly as you would imagine yeah um canucks look pretty content oh oh with what oh. they're doing here um i, I almost cursed phantomberg's now oh there good, it is good recovery <laughs> good recovery fanta uh man it's just not looking like it mm. Wonder if uh, Stevens will actually pull quick at an opportune time this time. That yeah, that I, Sharks game, man. There was like a buck forty left, <laughs> and the Kings had possession for what seemed like, you know, fifteen seconds. And I was like, why isn't the goalie being pulled right now? Under two minutes now. I guess if there's a bright side so far is that the Kings haven't allowed them to get thirty shots on net. That's kind of been their <laughs> their running number lately is 33 shots on net. Yeah. Shots against per game. Kings rank, I believe, 22nd or 23rd. 22nd. Yeah. Which 22nd. is uh, not 
good, uh, especially yes. considering they were near the top of the league for a better part right. of the decade. So something I'm sure they're going to want to clean up. But they certainly have a goalie that's up to the task. That's, that's no question about that. But at the same time... I mean, but you see the results, right? I mean, the difference between 20 shots and 30 shots is, you know, it's three goals versus two goals a lot of time. Even quick at his best, I mean, some of these bad shots are, are going to go in if they're if they're grade A shots, you know. These aren't your point blasts from nowhere. A lot of them are in tight um, and second or third opportunities. Empty net. Man, it would really hurt, really, really hurt to lose after a 2 nothing lead. But here we go, final minute. Here's the push. We got to see the shot's got to go through here. You got to throw it at the net. That's what's been working for you. Not getting through. That's what happens. Yeah. That's what happens. So Canucks ice it with 38 seconds left. Um, yeah, that's tough. Tough sledding. Under a minute. Obviously an important face-off. Um, something the Kings were not very good at against San Jose. I believe that they lost three key face I believe Kopitar actually lost some key face-offs down the stretch there. So hopefully we can reverse it here, but... One thing about Dowdy, his shot gets blocked here, but his shot always leaves something to be desired. He's, you know, he's obviously a world-class player, but he does not have a world-class shot, and I, and I kind of wish he did. Uh, I'm not saying Shea Weber where you can kill someone, but... Well, it's also, I think, I think this also comes back to my point of sometimes he tries too hard, right? Like, he gets that puck at the point, and his thought is 100% of the time put everything into it and blast this puck. Whereas sometimes that's not what's necessary. What you need is to maybe put half of it on and keep it low and make sure it gets through. I, I think it's subtleties, man. It's subtleties in this game offensively that I, I don't think that, you know, it, it keeps him from being an even better defenseman. I realize, you know, this is nitpicking. We're talking about a guy who's an all-world defenseman, but... It, you know, you watch him play over the course of 10 seasons. The, if I have to pick a deficit, I think that's that's where it is in my mind, is that sometimes I just watch him play on the offensive side of the puck. And the simpler play is the better one, the one that's probably going to lead to better results. And too often, in my mind, he's doing the thing that's going to look nicer or is going to feel better for him if it's successful, if that makes sense. It does. It does make sense. I People will equate it to passion or fire or that carefree mentality. But yeah, you got to, at some point, got to have some control. So the Kings are coming out of a timeout, which John Stevens still had because he didn't lose a goalie challenge. Good for him. Hey. 22 seconds left. End zone faceoff. Let's see what happens. You think the Kings have one of those little tickers in their locker room this many days since we lost the goalie interference challenge? Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, this game's over. And poop. The Kings lose. Third straight loss. Drew Doughty not happy. Broke his stick mm, there on there's, the glass. There's that passion. This one's a tough one, man. Just... Up to nothing. Everything seems to be going your way. Um, like you, I think you mentioned it on Twitter. Usually, oh, good. More broken sticks. Usually it's just yard sale now. Yeah. Usually at 2 nothing was lights out for the old Kings team. But they got to clean it up, man, because... Three in a row. That's I mean, now. That is now a losing streak, right? That's they're they're getting beat at their own game. This this was the game that they played against these teams for the last six seasons, where you bide your time, you forecheck, you don't give anything in terms of chances, and when you get your chances, you capitalize. And we are just not playing that game right now. Like these are just. Yeah, the just poor puck exchanges, poor coverage, um, lots of chances off the rush for the for the opposing team because you're just not doing your best to keep those pucks low and in the zone. It, it, it's you know it's fundamentals. It's not sexy hockey, and I realized that the beginning of this season was awesome because we went on this ridiculous streak playing sexy hockey and maybe winning a, a few couple games here and there that we didn't have any business winning. But, but you know you're not going to score five goals every night. It's just not going to happen. No, and it's, you know, I hope it's not the Vegas thing where it was excitement, new coach, fresh, and now it's kind of like we are who we are. I hope 
they can climb out of it because as great as winning streaks are and the cushion they could build for you, a losing streak can make it disappear real quick. And it's not... Especially against division opponents. Right. Remember last year we talked a lot about you look back at games and it bugs you when you see you lose to a team that you should beat, right? That was a big problem with last year's team is they didn't win the games they should have won um, and they lost the games they should have lost and that doesn't really leave much uh, for you. So to me, a, a Vancouver is a team you should beat. Now, I guess we could look ahead to the schedule a little bit. We got Boston on Thursday, Florida on Saturday, Vegas on Sunday, and then Winnipeg on Wednesday. So... Boston will not have Brad Marchand in that game. Florida and Vegas have been struggling depending on which week you look at them. Same thing with Winnipeg. So I think the Vegas game you have to win. I think the Boston game without Marchand, you have to take advantage of that and get the W. No reason they can't go 4-0 in the next four. However, we know that it's never that easy. And it's games aren't won and lost on paper, unfortunately. Otherwise, we'd be 82-0, yeah. right? Again, looking at that schedule, in my mind, maybe not 4-0. I think 3-1 and should have been the record. But the way they're playing now, 2-2, two and two, man. Honestly, 2-2. Two and two. Like they're, I feel like they're just going to drop one of those games against... I feel like they're going to lose against Winnipeg. Winnipeg has been playing really well, and Hellebuck has been playing really well for them. Yep. And I think they're finding their game, um, which is a dangerous thing for us as we're faltering in our game. Um Boston, Florida, and Vegas, I think those are games that you should be winning. Let's see if it actually pans out the way you want it to pan out, though. Yeah, yeah. I think we're going to – I know we kind of called their record in the next four, but I'd probably stay away from this one for me. Uh, you, I, <laughs> yes, they sh- they're all winnable games. They should, in theory, come out with a winning record, but – I'm just gonna let this one play out, buddy. Let's yeah. just let's I mean, let let's let them decide. How about that? Okay. Hey, All right. Maybe just maybe UC Jokinen comes in and really sparks the team. You know, really just motivates everyone in his broken English and rallies the boys, <laughs> and they can get back to their winning ways. But most notably, I'm kind of excited to see if Gabrick plays on in the stretch here uh, as we close out the month. That would be nice. That'd be nice to see. I, that I'm would sure be nice. That would actually, I think, be a boost to the team. So that would be nice, and I think he would flourish in this in this system. So here's hoping. Here's Here hoping. Here is hoping. Yeah. All right, guys. That's it for us. Um, follow us on Twitter, the Bannerman Pod. Visit our website, bannermanpodcast.com. Find us on iTunes. Find us on Stitcher. Find us on the street. Find us on LinkedIn. Don't find us on LinkedIn. We don't have LinkedIn. No, we are not professionals yet. Please, guys, review us, rate us, all that good stuff. And as always, Godspeed, Jeff Carter. We miss you. Come back soon. Lord, carry him now, in the words of Dwight Howard. We'll see you guys next time.